Welcome back, everyone, to the latest edition of the Walker AC Experience. And to you, my friends. Yes, you are my friends. This is Walker AC, otherwise known as uh, Adrian, to all of you out there. And joining me in this special edition of the experience is a good friend of mine who I met way back when. I think you'll like her. Matter of fact, I know you'll like her. She always wanted to do podcasting, so why not bring her on and give her a shot? Uh, it's my good friend, uh, Carmen. Hey, Carmen, how are you? Hey, everybody. Hi, Walker. I am doing all right. If I'm above ground and breathing, I'd say it's a good day, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I mean, the moment you wake up, the hard part's over. So. Yep. <laughs> it is great to be on the show. Thank you so much. No problem. I mean, I hear you wanted to do some podcasting here and there, so I figure let's bring you on. Let's hear your story. And the most thing about this show is this show is for everyone, not just myself. It's for everyone. So people who are inspired to be heard, to have their voices out there, their stories told, I do not mind. I welcome anyone and everyone. So, my dear Carmen, tell us mm -hmm. a little bit about yourself. A little about myself. Well, I am a little person. <laughs> Not a little person, but no, I, I'm about five foot tall. Um, <laughs> I am very short, petite. Um, but anyway, a little about myself. Um, well, I was born in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's about 20 minutes away from where the space shuttle goes up. So that's pretty exciting how we're involved in the Space Coast and right near Kennedy Space Center, which um, part of my family um, has worked with, including my mom. Um, so yeah, I was born Monday, June 30th, 1980. Now, I know a lot of you youngins are like 42. It just seems so old, like when you're in your 20s and 30s. But honestly, it's not, you know, and when you don't realize that until you get to that age, you know, and we're all young at heart anyway. But um, so, yeah, <laughs> I was born on a Monday at 1027 p.m. <laughs> no, and I'm a cancer, which I'm really into astrology. Um, so for you people out there who are into the signs and astrology and so am I, and cancers are considered to be, um, emotional, sensitive, moody, homebodies, <laughs> but definitely not wimps. Um, we do feel things very deeply. We really, uh, we really care about the home and family um, and the kitchen, you know, which I am a foodie. Um, I am pretty small. You wouldn't think I am, but I absolutely love food, especially being fed food. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it in front of my face and I'll eat it, you know, but, um, I am an artist. I think like first and foremost, I'm a very creative, imaginative person. Um, from as got as far back as I can remember, I was putting on little shows in my neighborhood, um, making up dances. Uh, I think the first piece of music I bought for anyone my age um, was 
a cassette tape of Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. And I memorized every word to every song of that tape and made up dances to everyone and performed it and, and taught it to my little friends in the neighborhood. And it was a blast. Um, but so, yes, I'm an artist. I do anything from I draw, I paint, um, mixed media. So just a little of everything on canvas or paper. Um, and I love all four. I love to do woodworking, even though I haven't done that much. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, geez, what else about me? Um, so yeah, I grew up the first part of my life in Titusville, Florida, for any locals out there. And it was actually a really nice place to live. Um, I went to Apollo Elementary School and that was kind of a weird time. Um, you know, I have really, really curly hair, like not just curly, but frizzy, thick, kinky, curly hair. And I've, I always wanted to be different. And I remember wanting to get my hair cut. It was a style at the time where you cut it really short and it gets shaved in the back like in a V and boy, was I tortured. I mean, kids can be so cruel. Um, I was bullied over my hair. So, you know, that's something that stands out in my life. Um, yeah. And I'm a pretty strong, tough person, or I just hold it in. Um, but I do remember there were days I, you know, didn't want to go to school or I'd go to the clinic saying I had a stomach ache just to not be there. You know, um, eventually that stopped when we moved to Merritt Island, which is where I've spent most of my life. Um, I'm making sure I'm still there. Okay, my phone blinked. Uh, Merritt Island. Um, junior high is where it kind of turned around. You know, um, people were more worried about themselves, you know, because you're turning in, you know, puberty's happening. And, you know, yes, people still made fun of certain people, but they're mostly worried about their own appearance and, you know, if they're impressing people. Um, God, I can just keep going if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, no, no, it's perfectly fine. You know, um, one of my questions is yeah. what made you interested in getting into podcasting? Well, I think what got me into like this form of media was ASMR. Um, which bear with me, I haven't said it in a long time, stands for autonomous sensory meridian response. And they are, what's actually blown up, I think everyone knows what ASMR is possibly by now. Um, when I used to speak about it years ago, nobody knew what I was talking about. And now, um, over the past four or five years or so, um, it's really blown up, but 
um, it's pretty much relaxation videos, um, where, and I actually still have my 3DO microphone because I wanted to start making my own, you know, my, I wanted my own ASMR channel. Um, I just felt I never had a good enough phone. I haven't bought a decent camera yet. And due to like, I'll say medical things, it was, it's just been pushed off to the side. Um, but I really am interested besides ASMR to speak about addiction and mental health because I really feel it is not talked about enough or put to light enough. Um, even myself can be told, Hey, that girl over there is a drug addict. And I could be like, Ooh, that's disgusting. And I am one. I am on the journey in recovery and it is not just a person in an alley that you, you might picture, you know, it's anyone from a lawyer at the tallest skyscraper, in New York to someone you see talking on the news, doing the newscasts at night. Um, your neighbor, I mean, it just like AIDS, it does not discriminate. Um, so it is not a defective character. It is a chemical imbalanced disease of the brain because nobody really wants that life. And so why don't they just stop? Well, because they have figured out that it is a chemical imbalance in your brain and a disease of the brain. And that is because why would we want to torture ourselves? We don't. I mean, maybe there's a percent that wants that life, but most of the time, no. And just like any habit, whether it's a good habit, whether like it doesn't even have to do with drugs or alcohol, say your habit is hopping into the car a certain way and turning on a radio station when you leave for work in the morning. And you've done that every day for years on end. It's just a habit, it's in you, you don't even think about it when you do it. Just imagine trying to break that. Well, when it comes to chemicals, drugs and alcohol, it is 10 times harder. But there's just so much to speak about on this subject. And, you know, there are good seeds and there are bad seeds of addicts, but of any person. And I want to educate people on the disease of addiction and speak about mental health issues um, because it's a real thing. And I think most people have it in some way, shape, form or another. And I think it really does help someone when they hear stories or they don't feel so alone because someone is speaking about maybe the exact same thing that they're going through. And what if that podcast or whatever didn't happen and they never got to hear that? You know, just imagine how much lonelier and depressed and hopeless you'd feel, you know? So, you know, I want to just 
talk about my life. I want to talk about addiction. I want to talk about art. I want to talk about mental health. I want to talk about how the world is today. Um, and even when it comes to social media, you know, um, I do feel it's a little sad that everyone's on their phone all the time. Um, it, it, I mean, it had to happen because things progress and, and, you know, medically for medical reasons, like, like just yesterday I had my heart checked. I had a cardiovascular, something or another, pretty much a, um, what do you call it? What, like when a woman is pregnant. And you get an okay, an ultrasound of the heart, and just the technology that he had yesterday that was not there ten years ago, uh, thirty years ago, you know. And it has to do with computer and technology, so it is needed. But it is sad to me how people can't even hardly look each other in the face anymore or walk by somebody down the street and they're afraid to look you in the eye and say hello, you know, because they're, it's all about the phone. And, you know, the, the best part of my childhood was using my imagination. Oh my gosh, being out in the woods, pretending we're witches, <laughs> making potions, you know, using your imagination is like, was the best possible thing in the world as a kid. And, you know, anyway, just my opinion on that. And yeah, just like you, anyone and everyone would be invited to talk about whatever they wanted. And it, it's not just about being serious because I do have a lot of humor in my dark things that I've dealt with. That is how I cope. It's a coping mechanism. Um, I do use humor in my recovery and my addiction, you know, <laughs> but it's hilarious sometimes <laughs> when I do see something funny and I'm like, well, you know, can't pop those pills or, <laughs> you know, so it's not going to be all serious. It's, you know, and it's, we're all in this together and, um, yeah, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> no, that works perfectly fine. I mean, addiction is a very serious thing. And for someone to break the addiction it takes a very, very strong-willed person um, more mentally than anything. You know, so your, yes. story will your story will definitely resonate. And will, whether it be touch one person or a hundred people, you know, everyone's story is important. And everyone knows an addict, whether it's someone in their family, a friend, believe you me. It will affect them, whether it's them or someone they knew or know, you know, and um, it didn't, I, you know, it started out just, you know, with anxiety, like I wasn't always addicted to something, you know, that happened at a certain point in my life. And I was what's called a functioning addict because I always had a job, you know, um, but other than that, I didn't have a life. I didn't get married because of it. I don't have children because of it. And that's something I've always wanted, you know, and want very much. Um, but here I am, 42 years old, starting my life over again, you know, and I know there's people that can relate. And, 
you know, I wanted help for many, many years, but there really wasn't a lot of help out there. And they're kind of, I mean, they're getting on the ball, but, you know, there still isn't enough. And, yeah, even you, I would like to explain to you more. If anyone, I wish, okay, there's one thing I must say that I wish everyone in the world could watch. Um, and it's called Pleasure Unwoven. And it's never, I've never seen or heard addiction explained so well. And like why those people do what they do or why they don't just stop. Or, I mean, it's just amazing. And his name is Kevin Mick something i'll have to relook it up but he used to be a nurse a doctor for the blue angels i i think i'm saying that right like he was a top dog doctor for the military and what are called the blue angels have you ever am i is that the correct name you know the the, the they fly the you know the jets like in a triangle in the sky like they're the fastest flying most talented um have you ever um, yes i have and just in case um as we put up the synopsis for the show later on this evening i'm gonna do a little mm -hmm. bit of, i'm gonna do a little bit of fact checking so um if we do misspeak um uh, uh, it will definitely be uh in the notes of the show okay yeah um so yeah i just it's just amazing and it really wow is a wake-up call for the person who has the problem and the non-addict just it'll totally change your mind on what you think you know about it and he himself like i said was the, like a top he now travels across the country um, speaking to colleges and uh, people who are getting, you know, a, studying to become a doctor and um, tells his story and then pretty much explains what he does in that documentary, Pleasure Unwoven. But like I said, he was a doctor for the Blue Angels, for um, the top dog, and he ended up hurting his back. And little, like, months down the road he gets hooked on the pain medication and later down the road he's shooting it in his arm before he starts doing a surgery on a blue angel i mean so it, you you know like i said it just it touches everyone you know and until you really understand you're gonna look down on it or say oh it's you know, blah, 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 blah. But you really don't know what you're talking about, you know, <laughs> until you um, get a little bit education on that. So I plan to do that in some of my stuff <laughs> <laughs> with you and on my own, hopefully one day. <laughs> of course. And we definitely love to hear something about that because like I mentioned before, Addiction is a very serious thing to do, and there are so many different ways people can get addicted onto it, and it takes tons of willpower. Mine to... was from dental work. Sorry to interrupt. Mine was from getting dental work done. 
point blank. Like, yes, literally. I mean, I drank a lot as a kid, like as a teenager, and that became a problem, you know. Um, but then I started abusing the pain medication I got from my dentist. And I, I didn't, but one night when the guy that was my soulmate that I loved so much didn't come over when, when he said he was, and my heart was broken. I took one without being in pain and, oh, the floodgates opened and it filled that hole that was whatever empty hole you have inside and euphoria came and it was a wrap. It was on from there. Quit drinking and my full love was on those pills. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. So that was your so so that was your catalyst. When did you realize that it was going overboard? You know, for you as far as being addicted to it, uh, what was your? I mean, like, what was the breaking point for that? You know, that you realized hmm. that it was a problem. Oh, I will definitely tell you. It actually was when I couldn't get them anymore. Ah, it was when I had a problem getting them. I'm like, I need, I need help. I'm I'm freaking out here. How am I going to get them? And I took myself to detox. And by the way, I've never been court ordered and it's okay if you have, but all the help I've ever gotten was on my own will. It was never forced. I've always wanted it. And there is one thing that's helped the most that was non-narcotic that I wish they would have told a lot more people about that really actually worked and kept me clean, which I'll talk about another time. It's called Vivitrol Shot. Um, But um, the breaking point was, um, it was a few years into it, and I actually had a very good relationship with my um, pharmacist at Albertsons in Merritt Island. It's no longer there, so I will say it. I won't say the person's name, but they kind of knew what was up, okay? And kind of helped me out, if you will. And um, after a while, um, and they weren't working there anymore, um, and a new lady was, and I, I, I forged my own prescription, um, I, I doctored it up, <laughs> I changed it up, and he, the, the other person would have filled it for me. This new lady, it was a no-go. So, uh-oh, uh-oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I'm freaking out, and that's the first time I brought myself to um, the only uh, detox um, addiction help place in Brevard, which was in Melbourne. And that, yeah, so that's how it started was when I couldn't get it anymore. And I was freaking out and I'm like, okay, I need help. I, you know, I can't just not have it. What am I going to do? Um, I need help. And I found the help where I should go. And I went, yeah. And that's definitely a good thing. So so after all this, how long have you been um, clean and sober from this? 
So, like I said, this started, gosh, it started when I was 19. I got fully addicted probably at the age of 21, 22. And I, I, okay, let's see, I am 42. And I just got well again, and I've only done this, like, gotten well, like, four times. So they put me on treatments, which I'll talk about another time, which were actually worse than the drug I was taking. And because the doctors just kept you on it as long as you paid money instead of a taper plan and a treatment plan which is another huge problem I'll discuss. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So now, um, it was July of, hold on, because I've messed up in this journey. Um, July 2020? No, no, I'm sorry. Well, it was a year and a half ago when I was given the Vivitrol shot, and that's what kept me straight the longest. I actually hit six months, and I could never go over three months because, like, my body just didn't know what to do. You know, I was given treatments for pain medication that were opiates, you know, methadone, suboxone, um, and I was kept on it for years and years. So when it suddenly, when you suddenly stop taking it, you know, you're not a robot. And if you're on something for so long, you know, your body starts freaking out. So I started drinking again. And anyway, so I relapsed in July of last year, um, because I was abruptly stopped on ADD medication, <laughs> which I never had a problem with. Um, and I'll get into that story too of why I was prescribed it and everything else. And I was abruptly stopped. I couldn't afford to see my psychiatrist anymore. And a primary care physician in this new state I'm in, um, filled it for a couple times and then said, I'm not a psychiatrist. You know, this is the last one I can give you. So my body kind of freaked out and I relapsed on Kratom again, which is another subject I need to talk about. Um, it's actually sold at head shops and it actually hits the opiate receptors in your brain. Um, but it's a poison and it's actually the worst drug I've ever stopped or ever have come off of it's it, people say it's worse than heroin like <laughs> people who are 20 year heroin addicts say kratom is a leaf that is grown in like uh, thailand indonesia and they brew it into a tea or put it in a capsule in a powder form and it hits the opiate receptors in your brain but people don't know this. So it kind of acts as an opiate and it's highly addicting. And I took it not knowing that with a friend 
after being in a 28-day program of just getting clean <laughs> off seven years of Suboxone. And um, that was the hardest thing to stop taking and the longest and the roughest. But I ended up relapsing last year on that. I was like, I'll just take it for a week just to get through the, the withdrawals. And no, that never happens. It just kept on and on and on. So even though I'm not on Vivitrol shot right now, it is a mood altering help support treatment system. So I don't feel that I am 100% sober. Um, that I That's what I'm doing now. So I still am in recovery. It's just not how I want it. Being in recovery to me is not using any mood altering substance. It's not something that gets you high, but it's still mood altering. Um, so I do that, but I do um, meetings. Um, I have, I'm recently uh, newly involved with what's called Recovery Dharma, and it's like Buddhist, Buddha, meditation related. Like, it's really awesome, and I will talk more about that as well. So <laughs> now my question to you is, as far as the recovery process, how easy is it to fall off the wagon? Like, you know, you mentioned that you've kind of been on and off. I mean, mm -hmm. was it, was it easy to fall back into old habits? Oh God, you know, it is very easy. That is why you can't do it alone. And I was a loner. I was a loner. You know, I, I just, but, you know, they, there's four things they say will keep you sober. That's going to meetings, whether it's AA, NA, or Dharma recovery, like a Buddha, Buddhist recovery meeting. So meetings, having a sponsor, service work, and working the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's people out there who know kind of what I'm talking about. But the 12 steps can actually work in anyone's life, not just a person who's had addiction problems. Um, the 12 steps, um, it could be, like I said, it could work for anyone, for anything that they're dealing with, or just a way to go through life. Um I could go like say what they are right now, or I can do that another time. Oh, oh no. Let's go ahead and mention the 12 steps. The reason why okay. I say that is because obviously people are familiar with them, but yeah. most people are only familiar with them vaguely. And the 12 steps, of course, they're not easy to do, you know, more or less difficult to stick by. Um, mm -hmm. so yes, by all means, go go over that very briefly if you'd like. Sure. Yes. And you do it like, um, when you're doing the work, like you can just live the 12 steps, but when you're like actually with a, with a sponsor working the 12 steps, like, you know, where you're doing written work, you know, that's different, but one, um, and like I said, this could be for anyone about anything they're having a problem with. Okay, one, you know, we admitted we were powerless over 
whatever, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That could be a grasshopper in a tree. <laughs> or who you call God. Or Mother Nature. Whatever your higher power is. Whatever is greater than you at that moment. Um, three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God or a higher power as we understand him or her. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to the higher power, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have our higher power remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked my higher power to remove my shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with our higher power as we understand it, praying only for knowledge of its will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to addicts or people and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So my question to you is, as we go on to that, when you first was presented with the 12 steps, of course, the old saying is, you know, you have to believe in it to make it work. They can't just present it to you and you live by it. When you first did it, how difficult was it for you to accept these uh, 12 steps? Okay. Well, I was raised, well, my mom, she's a New York Catholic, right? We didn't go to church, maybe on Easter Sunday, but we were spiritual people. You know, um, we rolled our eyes at Bible thumpers. Sorry, you guys, any of you out there. I don't do that anymore. But just the mentioning of the word God turned me off. And it does a lot of people. Well, it, it does, it can a lot of people. It was when, wow, um, I was at a place that I brought myself um, called How House in Titusville. And it was a sober living place, a safe place you could be. And I don't know what it was, but I wasn't taking anything, you know, to get through it, like a, a like an opiate treatment. Um, I was going to these meetings, AA, um, down the road, because that was what was next door to us. And all of a sudden, I only used to pray to get out of situations like, oh, God, I pray, I pray I don't get in trouble. I pray I don't get caught. Please, God, just help me get out of this. I'll never do it again. You know, I never just prayed for any other reason except for when it was an emergency. 
and I needed to get out of trouble. But one day I actually said what was suggested in the meetings and just the gates opened up and it actually worked. But I said, I call my higher power God. And I just said, God, I pray for your will, not mine. God, I give myself up to you. You know, I can no longer run the show because it is not working. I don't know what to do. I give myself up to you. Please lead me. Please guide me. I beg of you. Please help me. And when I started talking like that and praying like that, I never felt such peace in my entire life. Like, just, <laughs> and that's when I believed. That's when I started believing. And and that word did not scare me anymore. You know, I accepted. I, I gave myself up. I gave all of myself up. And I was okay with doing whatever it took to not suffer anymore. Right. Interesting. And and definitely congratulations for that. So forgive my ignorance. That was 10 years ago. That was 11 years ago. 11 years ago. I was 31. Wow. And yeah. for you to go through that, that's just amazing. And I want to backtrack a little bit because once again, it's mm -hmm. my curiosity. When you have a relapse, mm -hmm. do you have to go through the 12 steps all over again? Or do you have the willpower just to accept the fact that you had a relapse and you're going to fix yourself again? Well, it depends on like where you're at in recovery. Now there's like falling off the wagon and then there's like a full on relapse, you know, falling off the wagon is having a drink and you shouldn't have done that. A full on relapse is getting addicted to something all over again, where you're doing it every day, every day and then you're stuck again you're in the cycle all over again um and if if that happens you should definitely start again from step one because you need again to admit you're powerless over this and get you know um if it's a slip and you're already working the 12 steps um you know now i've only all these years <laughs> that I've been in and out of meetings um, and trying to do this, I've only had one real sponsor, and that's when they came out to Oregon. I just, we happened, and by the way, you want, if, if you're a guy, you get a, a, a man sponsor. If you're a woman, you get another woman sponsor. That's just how it works, you know. Um, that's just, you know, kind of a rule. Um, and I've never actually worked the full 12 steps, like from one to, and it takes like, you know, it can take a year, like, a, it take, it can take a month, a step, you know, to, to do, um, you can take as long as you want and you can do them as many times as you want. But, um, like I said, it all depends on if it was just a slip and you can just get right back on track, then just go from whatever step you were working on and just keep going. 
you know, if it was a full on relapse where you're out there for months, you know, like you're, you're back full in it, full blast. Yeah. You, you need to start over and that's okay. It, because the 12 steps aren't a bad thing. They're not nothing that we dread, you know, it's something that gives comfort and helps, helps us a lot. So. I see. So did you, and I want to get my terminology correct. Did you have a relapse before or did you just have a few slips here and there? Well, the only time that, okay, like I would get off the pills or the treatment, which was the same exact drug, but just prescribed by a doctor. Um, and the only reason um, I would relapse, which would be picking up a drink, was because the withdrawals were just so bad. Like, just so freaky. Like, the physical stuff is crappy enough, but the mental stuff, you know, especially if that's all you know, because <laughs> you've been prescribed the stuff or whatever, year after year after year after year, you know, and my body was just totally freaking out. So I've never relapsed just saying, I just feel like doing this. No, it was because I was so sick that I would do anything to get out of the torture. So no, I wouldn't run to the drug I would go to what I call devil juice <laughs> and what has gotten me in the most trouble. It was the first thing I ever got addicted to alcohol. And then when I found my love of opiates, I didn't drink for 10 years, you know, because I was on methadone and suboxone, you know, that it, it satisfied me enough. Um, but my slips have always been due to the uncomfortableness of getting off of the treatment or the drug. So talking about that, talking about the freaking out part, um, define freaking out. Was it the side effects and the medication? Because you said it was, you know, I mean, it was more the, the, the physical part and being sick, freaking out. I it was mean, more the mental part than the physical part. And it was after not being on any more medication. It's when you're totally with nothing. So, I mean, well, I mean, so pretty much your body is going through withdrawals because it didn't have it in the system anymore. So I felt like an alien in my own body. Like you're like, it's so hard to explain, but you don't feel real. Like you don't, <laughs> you don't, you, you it, like, it's like you're crawling out of your skin and you also don't even know who you are and what's going on or who or why or what. And it's the most uncomfortable, disgusting, most scary feeling you could possibly imagine. But it's not even describable. I see. And what was, and final question for this one, then I'll move on. Yeah. What was your rock bottom? Did you ever feel that you hit <laughs> rock bottom? Yeah, there was a rock bottom. And that's when 
I was going through withdrawal after seven years of Suboxone, being prescribed Suboxone because the doctor didn't do it correctly. And of course, a person addicted to opiates is going to let the doctor keep prescribing an opiate. That's a treatment that's supposed to help you. But they're supposed to do a taper plan where we, you know, after a few weeks, you go down a little more, few weeks, you go down a little more, but no, they'll just keep writing the prescription month after month, year after year to where you're in a shithole when you need to stop it, you know? Um, so I, I was prescribed it for seven years and when you don't have insurance, you really only get to go into detox for about six days and that's where you're medically watched they give you medication to um, help you get through it but then they send you on your way out the door and it's like well now what I mean six days does not end this what you're going through especially how many years that you were you know prescribed or on like buying it from the street and using it um so the only thing i could do would be to pick up a drink and i was a nasty nasty drunk um that was the only time i ever i used to get the in and out of juvenile detention and that was only when i drank alcohol i was a totally different person when I didn't drink or get to that point in drinking Jekyll and Hyde. And one of the bottoms I can remember was, I think it was in 2018, my mom, she would not be around me when I was drinking. She didn't really understand yet that much about like addiction. Um, she just recently, in the, since I moved to Oregon and went to rehab for the first time and was on Vivitrol shot, which was non-narcotic, and I was actually doing the damn thing, like, for the longest amount of time and, and the most different way. And um, But so, you know, because I was living, my mom and I were living together in the house she grew up in. Um my grandmother had passed away in 2005 and after, I'm sorry, 2003 and about 2006, after my grandfather was there for some years by himself and his health was failing and um, my mom and I moved in and um, he had already passed away while I was drinking. I was drinking to get through the withdrawal and I wanted to come inside and she would not let me. My One of my bottoms was laying on the cold concrete porch with my head and my eyes looking through the sliding glass door, crying and literally begging my mom to let me. And she wouldn't. And I had to sleep out in the cold, hard concrete porch looking into the home. <sighs> and yeah. so, yeah, and, and that's really heavy. So now, with your recovery, honestly, how are you doing these days? 
I I'm a lot better. I will never be where I was ever again. I want to say that like <laughs> where I was like I've never had such recovery before in my life. You know, um, I've had a sponsor for the over a year, the same sponsor. That's never happened before. Um, I started working the steps and reading books like I never have before. Um, I went to, even though it wasn't the best and I have stories about it, um, I went to rehab for the first time, which I brought myself to for the first time before for four months. Um, I almost forgot the question. Like you said, what was different? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, talking about how are you now these days? Oh, um, yeah. So it's a daily reprieve, you know, um, because of the amount of years, like most of my life of being prescribed something I was addicted to and, you know, one of the heaviest drugs you can be addicted to, um, you know, oh my God, you know, the first weeks, the first months are so fragile, but you just keep going and it just keeps getting better. And if this junkie <laughs> can do it, you know, anybody can. And today I can have a job. I don't have to be dependent on something to get through the day. You know, um, after the rehab, I went to, and it was all women's rehab. I went to their outpatient living where it's just like a house of women um, that are in recovery. And we went to groups every day, you know, that started March of last year. And I left there January of this year and I'm renting a place you know, I'm working, I'm about to get my license again because I lost it due to being sick and I couldn't in 2018 and I couldn't work because I was so sick. And so I lost my license. You know, my first job getting sober was Ron John's before I started to be, before Kratom came around in my life and I got addicted to that. That was my first job. <sighs> yeah. So Ron John's has a special place in my heart. I'll just say. Right, and uh, that's for where a few re quite a few reasons. <laughs> and that's where you and I met. So that is right. That is right. And I remember you clearly, as what do you say, as bright as day. <laughs> I just, yeah, you're definitely someone to remember, and I do remember you very well. <laughs> oh well, thank you. I do appreciate you were great. that. Thank you. I do appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> so what we're going to do, we're going to do a part two um, to this yes. as well, mainly focusing on uh, your stories. You know? Sure. And if my listeners has any questions, they'll send emails and whatnot. But we do want to hear more about your stories because we always focus on the darkness of the addiction. And mm -hmm. then the rise of the phoenix afterwards. Yes. But then there are yes. many, many different twists and turns because the path of happiness is never in a straight line. And sometimes right. you can get lost in the woods. Right. So what I right. like our listeners... As long as you're on that trajectory of going up, you know, 
yes, there's twists, there's turns, and you guys can ask me anything. I am an open book. I will not hold anything back, and I will answer anything or explain anything, give any advice that I can. Absolutely. <laughs> Very good. And so as we wind down, um, speaking of advice, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. Um, what advice would you give to someone that you see was going down the same path um, that you were going down? Well, you know, you have to want the help. And by the way, I wanted the help for a very, very, very long time before it actually happened. Just one day is when it happened. Okay. But I will give the advice of what to do. Like you might need to, you know, go detox, you know, in a detox place, um, to get that first rough bit over with. Um, but you can't do it alone is my advice that you need to reach out and ask for help is my advice and you'll get it. Cool. Very good. And as, mm -hmm. as the show comes to a close, this is part one. Of course, I do thank you for taking the time for coming on the show and having conversations and talking. I thank you. I thank you for giving me the chance and other people the chance to hear this and for me to share it. Thank you okay. very much. Oh, no problem. You're doing a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I do appreciate it. So as we put a close on to the show, of course, we have to let everyone know that to find us, we have 22 free apps to download the show on. Just do a search for the Walker AC Experience. I'll give you a link to all the other shows. Be sure to like, subscribe, give a thumbs up. Get those algorithms going. So if you're yes. looking for a show to listen to, maybe for a half hour to an hour to unplug your brain, choose the Walker AC Experience. Uh, Carmen, once again, thank you. And we're going to get back with you for a part two to get more in-depth with everything. So anything you'd like to say to anyone before we uh, say goodnight for now? Sure. I want to say definitely, you know, keep listening Walker's podcasts are amazing, so definitely thumbs up and subscribe if it's helping you in any way or made you smile in any way or anything. Um, and the ASMR actually really helped me go through withdrawal when it, I was having anxiety attacks, when anything. I highly suggest typing ASMR into YouTube as well. Um, it's very helpful. Um, I forgot what else I was going to say, but also we can talk about art and I know about every type of art and how to do it. So we can talk about fun things too, but that'll, you know, there's part ones and twos of everything. So, and I also want to be able to listen to this. So tell me how to do it so I can listen to myself talk because I'm full of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's no problem. What we'll do uh, after we end the show, I'll keep when you on. I'll, yeah, once we're yeah. done, I'll keep you on for a few more minutes here. But uh, of course, as we wrap up, of course, you know, we thank you guys for choosing to listen to our show. Uh, this has been uh, the Walker AC Experience, and as I always say, as our memories get longer, our life gets shorter. Appreciate what you have around you. Take each and every day like your last. Appreciate the little things. Tell the people out there that you love them because you never know. 
So thank you. And once you're again. worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been a Walker AC experience. I have been Adrian. You've been my friends, my family, my loved ones, the people who love me, awesome people who hate me. You're still listening. Nanny, nanny, boo boo. So That's we right. will <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>